With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Oh, hello, lovely listeners. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm Liv, but you know that. Well, how are we all enjoying this hardcore deep dive into that man we all love and loathe, Theseus? Honestly, I'm living for it. It's fun to research and write, plus it's especially fun to hate on him, no matter what he does. I admit at this point, I'm just enjoying that part, but you know, he mostly deserves it. And... Just as I predicted, diving back into the story of that, our mutual enemy, has led us down the path of so many other stories that I've either yet to tell entirely or simply glossed over at the beginning of this podcast before I owned more books than anyone should rightly possess and before I obsessed over making sure to refer to as many sources as is humanly possible. Today is an example of both. It's also the second time I've been able to name an episode after a song I loved during my years of being a little badass punk. And honestly, I still very much enjoy this music. In this case, it's two songs. What a thrill. 
This is episode 81, Daedalus's Inventions, Icarus and the Melting Point of Wax. Daedalus, oh, Daedalus. Most know his name. He's more famous than most mortals in Greek mythology, whether it's his infamous labyrinth or the tragedy of the wax wings he made for his son, Icarus. The man's name has traveled. Back in the original episode on Pasiphae, I told you about Daedalus and his son, Icarus. But oh, did I miss out on so much more to the man. And frankly, his name isn't in that episode title, so people ask me to cover him all the time. So you know what? I am in an episode entirely devoted to Daedalus, all his inventions, and his escape from Crete. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Daedalus is originally from Athens, but his origins are less than inspiring compared to the name he eventually makes for himself. Daedalus was a natural inventor, he always had the knack for it, and so his sister, Perdix, entrusted her son to Daedalus to teach him his inventory ways. This son was either called Talos, or sometimes also called Perdix, in which case his mother is not called Perdix. Truly, it's confusing, and all dependent on who you read. We will call the boy Talos. So, Daedalus works with his nephew, Talos, teaching him the arts of inventing in Athens. They are of the royal family of Athens, descendants of Erechtheus himself. This would make Daedalus very important there, save for what's about to happen. Because, you see, Daedalus, it seems, is also jealous as fuck. Troublingly so, because when his nephew Talos invents some things of his own, Daedalus simply can't handle the jealousy, the feeling of inadequacy. Talos, it seems, invents the saw. He sees how fish spines are shaped, or some say it's a snake's jaw, and mimicking it along an iron blade to create teeth, voila! He's invented such an important device. It's a game changer. And it's said that the boy also invented the compass. He fastens together two sharpened pieces of iron, one that stays still while the other rotates in equal distance from the stationary to create a circle. It's math stuff. I think that description makes sense. But you know the one. You had to have one in elementary school and probably later if you weren't like me who avoided math unless absolutely necessary. Talos invents these things, these impressive, unimaginably useful inventions, and his uncle, Daedalus, well, Daedalus appears to believe that he alone can be the skilled inventor. So, he pushes Talos off a cliff, or perhaps off the Acropolis itself. Yeah, it's not super chill. It's pretty awful. Overreaction. Truly crazy! Meanwhile, Athena, seeing this, transforms poor Talos before he can hit the ground. She gives him wings just before he hits, turning him into the first partridge, a bird that never flies too far from the ground. So as with almost all other stories of heinous murder in Greek mythology, Daedalus's punishment for pushing his nephew off a cliff in a fit of pure rage is to be exiled from Athens. And this, of course, is how he ends up on Crete. Interestingly, in Apollodorus, Daedalus is actually tried in court in the Areopagus, their ancient courts of law, and found guilty and thus driven to Crete. 
I tend to read Apollodorus just subject by subject for what I need at the time, so I'm not entirely familiar, but it seems to me that this wants to suggest that Daedalus was a real person, because it's linking it with historical Athens, the Areopagus, versus a mythological one that almost never, or I've never found it to include, the Areopagus. Apollodorus would also have you believe that Daedalus created the first statue. I should note, too, that Apollodorus compiled all this in the 1st or 2nd century AD, so quite late comparatively. Still, intrigue. During his time on Crete, Daedalus becomes their resident inventor. We've already heard all about my favorite invention of his, favorite due to the sheer ingenuity and hilarity of it all, not not because of its purpose. That shit's fucked up. I am, obviously. Talking about Daedalus's role in the recent episode in which I told in deeper detail about Pasiphae's encounter with the famed bull, the father of the Minotaur, Daedalus made her a sexin cow, and that shit is impressive as hell, if also wildly, horribly disturbing. Greek fucking mythology. After the success of Daedalus's invention to help Pasiphae in her warped and non-consensual quest to have sex with a bull, Daedalus was next instructed to create a means of containing the monstrous results of that very same quest. Pasiphae, as you know, gave birth to the Minotaur, a thing, a creature, that they knew immediately must be locked away. Enter Daedalus. He builds the perfect thing to keep the Minotaur safely tucked away, unable to find his way out into the world of the Minoans, but that also gives the Minotaur a means of hunting his own food. Athenian youths enter, but they do not return. Daedalus creates the famed Labyrinth of Knossos, in which the Minotaur is imprisoned. According to Ovid, the purpose of the labyrinth is not only to hide away the monstrous minotaur, but very specifically to hide the shame of his family as far away from prying eyes as possible. The minotaur is personified, physical evidence of Minos's mistake in not sacrificing the bull to Poseidon when he should have. Of course, that is my interpretation— For the men of the ancient world who told this story, the Minotaur is instead personified physical evidence of Minos' wife's so-called adultery. But we know that's not what it really represents. No, Pasiphae is a woman who had to pay for her husband's mistakes, and pay she did. Minos is the one who failed to sacrifice the bull to Poseidon, not Pasiphae. But it's the woman who gets punished, and in this case, her punishment continues far past the birth of the Minotaur. The Minotaur continues to live, and so does the shame placed upon her by the story and the culture. The labyrinth is, well, for lack of a better word, labyrinthine. I mean, the word comes from somewhere. The labyrinth is a brilliant creation, one that only Daedalus could create. I mean, maybe his nephew Talos could have too, but we'll never know, will we? He created the labyrinth, an enormous high-walled maze with all sorts of twists and turns and dead ends and confusions meant to mess with a person's senses, with their ability to discern left from right, up from down. As Ovid puts it, Daedalus created the labyrinth to have an ambiguous course, quote, 
within a maze, along the endless ways to disseminate uncertainty. In fact, the artifacts himself could scarcely trace the proper path back to the gate. It was that intricate. Which leads us to the next chapter in the life and times of Daedalus. When Minos, king of Crete, finds out that Daedalus helped Pasiphae, how he created a large and lifelike hollow wooden cow through which Pasiphae could have sex with a bull, reminder, all Minos' fault, Minos punishes Daedalus. A taste of his own medicine, it's called. For what Daedalus did, Minos imprisons him in his own creation, his own labyrinth. A labyrinth so intricate that, as Ovid says, even the architect himself can't find his way out. When Minos is imprisoned in the labyrinth, he isn't alone. And no, I don't mean the Minotaur. It's not clear whether the Minotaur is in there with him, but I have to assume he is. Perhaps it's the one thing Daedalus did manage to figure out in his own labyrinth, how to remain free of the monstrous Minotaur. No, instead, I mean his son, Icarus. It seems Daedalus has a son. The boy's mother was a slave in Minos's palace, named Nocrate, though she's never mentioned again, surprise, surprise. Together, father and son are imprisoned inside the labyrinth. With a dad like Daedalus, Icarus knows it won't be long before the pair are freed from their imprisonment and from Crete entirely. And he's not wrong. The moment Daedalus and Icarus are hidden away in the labyrinth, Daedalus begins to plan their escape. But as I said before, even Daedalus can't free himself from his own labyrinth once he's placed inside it, like all the other unfortunate Athenian youths bound for the belly of the Minotaur. It's simply too well designed. So how do they get out of the labyrinth? Well, it's only with the help of a woman that Daedalus and Icarus are freed from the labyrinth and able to avoid a fate worse than death. Pasiphae frees the pair, whether out of a sense of guilt or purely because she's a good fucking person. The queen of Crete, Minos' own wife, frees the man and child that he'd locked away for helping her. And once the two are free of the labyrinth, that's when Daedalus is finally able to let his inventor flag fly once more as he gets to work planning an intricate means of escape from this island of Crete so far into the Mediterranean that it sits far from land on all sides. Sailing from the island is out. Though Minos keeps a very impressive and famous fleet of ships, they are just as famously locked down. There's simply no way that Daedalus and Icarus could steal a ship and get away with it. But Daedalus is an inventor! Ships are so normal, so human! No, that's not good enough for Daedalus, even if he were able to steal one. Instead, Daedalus manages to fashion two sets of wings. He spends endless hours collecting feathers wherever he can find them, and finally, he has enough. The large feathers he sews together, attaching them to the wooden frame of what will become two large wings the two will attach to themselves and use to fly their way off this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. But the smaller feathers, those he isn't able to sew... Instead, Daedalus attaches the smaller, though still very much vital, feathers to the wing frames with wax. 
The finished wings are magnificent. They're perfect replicas of the wings of a bird, the feathers chosen specifically based on location on the wing, the subtle bend in the frame in the exact right place to allow the wings to function just as he wants them. They're almost entirely infallible. Almost. This is, after all, the story of Icarus, the boy who will get there. Daedalus makes the wings, these perfect, unimaginably intricate replicas of a bird's wings, with sturdy means of fastening one set to his own arms and the other to his son's. His plan is going exactly as he'd hoped. Daedalus is so relieved, so excited. He's found a means of escape from this island that's become a prison, all under the nose of Minos. Meanwhile, Icarus watches. How young is Icarus as this happens? A good question. I think based on the story, the boy must be quite young, a preteen, maybe younger. In Ovid's telling, he plays with the feathers and the wax as his father works, picking at the wings and disturbing Daedalus in the process. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Finally, when the wings are complete, 
Daedalus puts one on each of his arms, and he tests them out. He flaps his makeshift wings, and, just as he'd hoped, he begins to rise in the air. Once he's a ways off the ground, he continues flapping and hovers perfectly. They're working. The wings are really working. The elation Daedalus must feel, he'll finally be able to free himself and his son. What a feeling. When he returns to the ground, his son is watching in awe. Daedalus sits Icarus down. Icarus, he tells him. Look at me and listen very, very closely. These wings will bring us safely across the sea, but son, please keep a steady wing. It's vitally important that you fly straight and steady. You mustn't fly too low to the sea. If the wings touch the water, even for a moment, they'll get wet and will weigh you down, and you will certainly fall to the sea, and there I can't save you. The same goes for if you fly too high. If you fly too close to the sun, the wings will heat up, and the feathers held on with wax will fall off when the wax melts. That, too, will send you plunging into the sea. Just follow me, Daedalus tells him. Do exactly as I do. Do you understand me? Daedalus asks Icarus pointedly, drilling home his point. You must fly straight and steady, he repeats, his voice getting shakier with emotion. He gives his son a strong, loving hug. Of course, we don't know what Icarus says, but he's a child, or at most a teenager, and oh, how much fun it would be to have your very own wings flying over the sea. It's time. It's finally time for Daedalus and Icarus to fasten on their makeshift wings and take flight. Daedalus secures Icarus's wings first, making sure the straps are strong and that they won't loosen, that the wings can't possibly fall off mid-flight. That's the most Daedalus can do for him. The rest is up to Icarus. Once he's fastened on his own wings and both father and son are ready to go, they position themselves on a secluded cliffside on Crete, facing the direction of the mainland. Daedalus is anxious and worried. There's no more preparation he can do. They're the most ready they'll ever be. Now, it's all about skill, focus, and luck. And with that, they leap from the cliffs, flapping their feathered, makeshift wings. Father and son keep a steady wing, flapping their arms steadily, flying perfectly above the water, far enough to avoid even a droplet from the sea, and low enough to avoid the heat of the sun. They fly and they fly. At one point, a fisherman sees them from below. He looks up at these two flying figures in the sky above and thinks they must be gods. What else could be possible? These humans flying with birds' wings— the fisherman stands, staring in awe from his boat below. They fly, Daedalus and Icarus, steadily. First, on their left, they see Samos. They pass it safely. Next, they fly past the island Delos, sacred to Apollo, and Paros, even Calymne. Next, over the island of Labynthos. 
They fly and fly, both growing more comfortable in the steady actions of flapping their wings. But for Icarus, with that comfort comes a thrilling feeling of power, of ability. He becomes more audacious, more excited to be flying through the sky, impressed with his own skills. I don't blame the boy, really. You're flying over the sea all by yourself. and You're getting good at it. You're doing so well. Your father is praising your ability to stay where you need to, to follow his lead. And that's when Icarus decides to have a bit more fun with his flight. First, he dips low, but not too low. He doesn't get close enough to touch the water. He knows he can't. He just wants to have some fun. But this worries Daedalus, and he reprimands his son, reminding him to stay steady, keep to the plan that they've laid out. That plan will get them safely to Athens. Icarus, though, has gotten a taste for it. The exhilaration that comes with flying from side to side, up and down, testing his abilities, testing the limits of these incredible wings. Daedalus, feeling as though he's made his point to his son, continues on, guiding the pair but paying less attention. He trusts Icarus. Without the watchful eye of his father, Icarus enjoys a little bit more freedom. He flies low, then from side to side, his wings flapping away. Then he flies higher, further from the sparkling sea below. Higher and higher, it's more fun and exciting the higher the boy gets. But then... Before he can catch himself, before he knows anything is wrong, everything has gone wrong. The wax on Icarus's wings begins to melt, slowly at first, but it isn't more than a second before the wax is melting faster than Icarus can realize what's happening. The wax holds together too many vital feathers. The wings become useless without them. Feather after feather fall from Icarus's wings. He continues flying for a while, not realizing what's happening. All at once, it's too late. Most of the feathers have fallen from his wings, and it's mostly frame left behind, a skeleton. Icarus is falling. He falls and falls before he lands in the sea, with an inaudible splash too far from Daedalus for him to hear. The ripples soon disappear with the movement of the water. In an instant, Icarus is gone, Daedalus looks for him, but all of a sudden his son isn't there. He isn't where he thought he was, following his father as they get closer and closer to Athens by the second. Daedalus is frantic. He searches the sky for his son. Maybe he's veered off course? Did he fly too low, maybe? Or is he playing a trick on his father, flying just behind in his blind spot? But finally, Daedalus looks down at the sea below. Feathers, so many feathers litter the ocean, floating calmly in the waves. Seeing the feathers floating on the water, Daedalus knows exactly what's happened. His heart breaks as he looks down at the water, his beloved son, somewhere in the depths around those sad floating feathers. Daedalus himself flies down toward where the feathers float, circling slowly, waiting, hoping that his son will reappear. And finally, he does reappear on the surface of the water, but it's Icarus's body that floats up. It's far too late to save the boy. Daedalus 
His heart in pieces flies down to his son's body and, I couldn't tell you how, manages to bring the boy's body to the nearest island. It isn't far. There, he builds Icarus a tomb and does all he can to make him comfortable in the underworld, performing whatever rites he can for his precious child. And so, on that island, Daedalus buries Icarus. He names the island Icaria, which it's still called today. And the sea surrounding that island, and the area in general, the Icarian Sea. Or some say that Daedalus and Icarus never had wings at all, and that instead Pasiphae gave them a ship on which to escape from Crete, and instead, on that same island, Icarus fell into the sea and drowned. Those same people say that it was Heracles who buried Icarus, and that, in thanks, Daedalus built a lifelike statue of Heracles in Pisa, a statue that was so lifelike, so very real, that Heracles was convinced it was an enemy when he encountered it, and was so threatened by it that he knocked down the entire thing with a stone. In this version, Heracles seems like a real dolt, and everything is just far less beautiful and exciting and meaningful, so fuck that version. I could only find it in Robert Graves anyway. Oh, dear and wonderful listeners. Can you believe this was originally going to be a mini-myth? But my god, there's so much! So much emotion, feelings, wonder. I just kept writing. How did I manage to squish this story into an episode on Pasiphae and the Bull way back when? Truly. How? Oh, how almost three years can change a podcast. (laughs) Lord! Also, I just can't express to you how I feel about the fact that this island is called Ikaria even now and that the surrounding sea is called the Icarian Sea. Everything about Greece, then and now, absolutely fills my heart with happiness. I just can't fully express to you how I feel when I hear things like that. It's obsessive and slightly crazy, but I'm okay with it. Anyway, two months ago, I thought I'd be in Athens right now. I booked a trip on a whim because for the very first time in my almost 32 years of life, I could. I could afford to book a trip to a place that I love more than anything in the world, on a whim. It felt incredible, like I'd accomplished something that I'd always thought completely unattainable, impossible. Anyway, then the pandemic hit, and this week has been a bummer. But I love Daedalus, so that helped. You're all wonderful. Thank you for listening, including to my complaints. You know, follow me, places, I'm always at Myths Baby. And give me five-star reviews, please. I'm so incredibly close to being able to do this full-time. And going back to work managing a store during a pandemic has made me feel so very motivated to finally push myself over the edge into being an all-the-time podcaster. Anyway, reviews help. So, thank you. You're truly all wonderful. My listeners are the most fucking badass people in the world. Please, stay safe. Stay home if you can unlike some of us, and wash your hands. I am Liv, and oh, how I love this shit. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. 
Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.